Bibles, there we go. As you grab a seat, grab your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as you turn there, I just kind of want to give you uh, kind of an overview of our day. If this is your first time with us, today's going to look a little different than what a typical Sunday at Harvest looks like. I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go right into what we call a family chat around here. And a family chat is just a time that we set aside to fill in our congregation at what God's doing in the life of our church. And so um, we're going to preach, we're going to pray, we're going to family chat it after that, and I'm going to have us out of here hopefully by Tuesday, okay? And so um, grab your Bible, get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and as you turn there, I, I, I want to say this. He, here are four, four statements Four statements you never hear someone say in the last decade of their life. Ready? Man, I so wish I would have spent more time at the office and less time in the backyard with my kids. Or if I, if I could do it all over again, I so would have focused way more on my money and way less on my marriage. Or, or if I could go back, I would, I, would, I would have worried way more about developing that big project in that season of life instead of developing my kids' walk with the Lord. Or, or if I could go back, man, I would just focus so much more intently on how people could have served me in this life instead of how I could have served others. You never hear in the final decade of someone's life these types of statements come out because when anytime you're sitting with someone who gets that they're on the home stretch of life, that the years are numbered, that they're coming to the finish line, um, when they begin a statement with, if I only would have known, we need to shut up and lean in and go, what are they about to say here? And as I've sat in nursing homes and I've sat with people in my own family and I've sat with different people who kind of get that the end is nearing, anytime typically someone starts a statement with, if I could go back, I would, dot, dot, dot. The end of that sentence usually revolves about, around something that's focused on relationships. Something that's people-centered. Because you know this and I know this. The great temptation with our life is to define a successful life based on kind of the plaques that might be up on the wall or the projects we accomplish or a certain line on our resume. And especially, kind of participation time here, um, how many of you would say on the spectrum of task focus to relationship focus, you're kind of a task focused person? Who would admit that? Raise your hand, task-focused people. A good day for you is the checklist all getting done, right? How many of you would say you're more of a relationship-focused person? A good day for you is just chilling at Starbucks with some people, right? Swapping stories, catching up on life, seeing how you're going. If you are more of a task-focused person, our great tendency is to try to define like the successfulness of a day or a week or a month or a year or our life is by how many things we can get accomplished. But what we're talking about today is how do we prioritize people above the projects of life? How do we prioritize people above our accomplishments that we want to so focus on? And there's good news for our task-focused people. 
Do you think a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul was kind of task-focused? Like, do you think he wanted to get some stuff done for the Lord? Like, I think he woke up every day like, Jesus could come back today. We got stuff that's got to get done. Kingdom's got to get built for the Lord. But there's something in what we're going to read here today that Paul got in the midst of the work, in the midst of the mission, in the go, 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 go mentality he had, he never lost sight that it was always about people. It was always about people. Because here's what I hope that we see today, that when it is all said and done, our greatest joy will not lie in the projects we produce, but the people we pour into. promise us in that last decade of our life, we're not going to be pointing to plaques and resumes and projects and whatnot as the prize of our life. We're going to be pointing to this relationship that we stewarded with the Lord and the relationships that we have around us with our spouses and with our kids, with our friends and with our co-workers. Today, we're going after, how do we as Jesus followers live with people as one of the greatest prizes, one of the greatest joys of our life? Three principles on how we prioritize people here today. Pray with me and let's jump in. Father, we need you to come lead us through this passage today. Lord, we, every single day we get up, our heart is bent towards viewing the success of our day in the terms of how many tasks we can accomplish. Lord, I confess to you how many days that I set out with a checklist and uh, you put a person in the path of that day and, and Lord, that can feel sometimes more like a burden or a hindrance to what I want to accomplish. Lord, I pray, would we have um, the love that you have for people? Lord, you say that we can love because you first loved us. Lord, today is about us investing our lives in loving and serving and pouring into the people that you've put in our lives. And so, Lord, would you come and would you teach us today from your word of what love for people, what prioritizing people above our projects in life look like. Lord, come and speak now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick it up here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. Paul has just gotten done saying, I'm so thankful that when we came to you, you accepted the word of God, or not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. And now Paul goes into one of the warmest parts of this letter. And look at what he says in verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Why? Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Okay, now stop there and understand a little bit of the background of why Paul is writing what he's writing here. Um, Paul and his companions, they came into the city called Thessalonica. They preached the gospel there. They're there for a short time. And um, the new believers, while Paul's there, they get time with him. He's preaching the gospel. He's encouraging these new believers. He's teaching them what it looks like to begin this new faith in the Lord. But Paul and his companions, they had to flee the city under the cover of night. And so picture this if you're these new Christians. 
This guy comes to town, this teacher comes to town, he preaches this gospel, you're like, this is of the Lord, you come to follow Jesus, one night everyone goes to bed, the next morning you all get up and Paul's gone. He just hightailed it out of town. What, what is up with that? The persecution begins, Paul under the cover of night, he has to leave town and now he's writing back to them, please guys, don't think that we don't care about you. Please don't think that you are just some, some, some city to conquer. Please don't think that you are just some project to us on the midst of us going to accomplish our mission. Back to verse 17, he says, but since we were torn away from you, he goes, when we left, when we were torn away from you, we are torn up about being torn away from you. In fact, the English here can't even get at what it's actually saying. Here's what it's really saying. But since we were orphaned from you, Paul is like, do you want to know what this is like for us? To have to leave without, without any farewell party, without any chance to go house to house and say goodbye to you all. Do you want to know what this feels like to us? We feel like orphans who have just been pulled away from their parents. That's how much we love you. And then he says, we want to come see you again. I, Paul, I want to come see you again, but I want us to hear to Paul The Thessalonians aren't just some ministry project. They're they're not just some city to conquer. I want us to hear the care and the concern that Paul has for these people that he says he's been torn away from. Three principles for prioritizing people over projects. The first one is this. When I prioritize people, I will communicate care and concern for them. Keyword in this, communicate. And as I am prepping for this this week, and as I hear the concern, the care, the love that Paul has for these people, I'm like, how am I doing at communicating to those God has put into my life the love and the care and the concern that I have for them? Husbands, how are we doing at communicating to our wives the love and concern and care we have for them? Like I told her on our wedding day, and if it changes, I'll let her know, right? Like she knows. She gets it. No, do you tell her? Do you show her? Erica gets it. She knows. Does she? Parents, how often do we tell our kids, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I'm so proud. They know. They know that. Do they? Do we communicate it? I'm 17 years old. It's a Friday night. I had just finished one of my football games. And my parents were already in bed by the time I left the locker room, hung out with some friends, came home that night. And I pulled in the driveway. It's probably right before midnight on a Friday night. And... um. I pull my car in and I hit the barn door opener and the barn door comes open where I always parked my car and my dad's pickup truck was facing me and as I pulled in the car or pulled the car in there was a cardboard sign on the truck written in black sharpie my dad's handwriting and it just said four words proud of you son And 
And this 17-year-old young man who hours before was acting all macho in front of a town trying to hit people as hard as he can was weeping like a baby in his barn, in his car, over the thought that his hero was proud of him. Do we communicate it? Are we showing? Are we telling? And I get it. I get it. I get it. For some of us in here, maybe we didn't grow up in super affectionate homes and we're just like, I always knew my dad loved me and I'm sure they know too. Even for us to say the word affection feels soft. But are we communicating the care and the concern and the love? Dad, listen, Dad, I'm off script now. This is always dangerous. You know what the first things are? son needs to hear after the game is not why didn't you choke up why'd you pass up on that shot why 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 you want to know the first thing our son needs to hear buddy i'm so proud of you way to play hard out there moms you want to know the first thing your teenage daughter needs to hear in the epic warriors between a mom and a teenage daughter can i get an amen to that Honey, I love you. I want you to know I love you. And I know we have some hard days together, but I just want you to know this morning as you start your day, your mom loves you more than you can even know. And they go, yeah, mom, I know. Gosh, I know, I know. You have no idea what's going on in their mind as they sit in their car and they drive to school that day. Are we communicating? I want us to hear. We were like, we, when we were torn away from it, we, it was like we were orphans who've just been torn away from our parents. We love you so much. Would we communicate that kind of love and care and concern for the people we have in our life? But then Paul, he goes on and he says something with, with an even greater effect. Look at what he says in verse 18, or verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? He's going to answer his own question. Is it not who? Who? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Okay. There's a picture here that we have a hard time in our day pulling out from the text, but would have been fairly familiar to the people that Paul is writing to. Look back at what it says in verse 19. He says, "Because uh, for what is our hope or joy, or what's it say after that? Or crown of boasting. Uh, athletic events, Paul's day. You went out, you raced people from other towns. You went out and maybe there was a wrestling match or something. The victor was awarded a crown. This looks different than how we think of a crown. Crown in Paul's day would have likely been some round, leafy substance, okay? That's the technical term here, okay? Some round, leaf, leafy crown. The victor walked back into his town wearing the crown. This was literally his, his crowning accomplishment. Everyone, as he came back in, they went, oh, we know who won the race. We know who won the wrestling competition. He's wearing the crown. This is the crowning accomplishment that the victor got to wear. Paul is saying, get this now. On the day I stand before Jesus... You know what I'm going to point to as my crowning accomplishment with my life? 
you. Well, hold, hold on, Paul. You're like the most decorated missionary in all of church history. You're not going to point to like that second missionary journey you went on where you, where you covered all of these cities in that amount of time. You're not going to point to that one cornerstone sermon that you preached and all these people came to know the Lord. You're not going to go through your resume of spiritual accomplishments. He goes, no, the day I stand before Jesus, you know what I'm pointing to is my crowning accomplishment of my life. I'm going to point to people. I got to be honest, I'm, re I'm studying that and I'm realizing the picture of the crown and I'm going, what would I point to right now if Jesus was right there and he said, what's the crowning accomplishment of your life? I don't know if I'd be pointing to people. Because I get the tension that we live in, that we so badly want to yearn to point to as the crowning accomplishment of our life, some plaque on the wall, some degree hanging up, some project we accomplished, some certain line on a resume. And listen, those are good things. This isn't an anti-work sermon. Please don't all leave here and quit your jobs and just be like, we just need to sit at Starbucks and talk to people all day. That's not the point. We need to work in everything we do as unto the Lord. We need to accomplish things for the glory of God, but we can't trample people in the process of it. We're called to minister to people, and Paul's like, people are my crowning accomplishment, but I get the tension we all face to go, it's so easy to point to a thing, it's so easy to point to a project, it's so easy to point to this, and like, I want you all to know, I get it. You want to know what the most dangerous things about ministry is? A pastor can be a workaholic, crave for success, want to build an own mini kingdom here, and he can cloud it all as if it's all for the Lord. I remember, I knew in 2009, God had called us to plant a church one day, and for five and a half years, the Lord was just grooming us for this until we got the phone call about coming down to the south side and planting. And I always said something in ministry. I, said, I always said, and this is what my, my mentor in ministry and my previous boss always preached to us, never sacrifice your marriage on the altar of ministry. Listen, that was easy to preach. I remember we got down to, we finished the training center in Chicago. We get down to Avon, Indiana. We're doing an internship with Harvest Indy West as we get prepared to plant this church on the south side. And I'm, I'm in an office and I'm working, working, working. And Erica, uh, she, she just totally got uprooted out of all her life. She's like, what do I do today? I'll go visit Brock. She walks in the office and she's like, hey, how's the day? And I'm like, great. What do you want to do tonight? Uh, I don't care. Whatever you want. Um... How are things going? Yeah, really good. I felt the weight in the early days. Like, what if this doesn't go? This is all like, I got we got to build a successful church. And I felt the weight. And like, I just rem I remember that day vividly of her just kind of standing in the corner like, remember me? We used to talk and laugh, hang out. And I just remember so graciously, she was just standing there as I just work, 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 work. And she's like, okay, I think I'm going to head out. I'll see you tonight when you get home. Okay, see ya. And out she went. And the computer where I was working had, had a, a, a window that looked right into the parking lot. And I remember as I was working, 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 my eyes caught a glimpse of my wife walking to her car. And everything about the demeanor in which she was walking said she was totally defeated. And the Spirit of God at that moment impressed on my heart, 
Not going to sacrifice your marriage on the altar of ministry, huh? Brock, what if you're already walking down that dangerous path? Folks, listen. What have we truly gained if we accomplish all of the accomplishments we want to put on a resume one day and we lose our marriage in the process? What if we gained, if we go and make our millions and sacrifice a relationship with our kids for the rest of our life doing it? What have we gained if we become the best in the business at what we do and yet have no witness for Christ at all in how we do it? I would argue we've gained nothing. That there's a tendency, there's a temptation, and Jesus talked about it. We can be tempted to gain the whole world and sacrifice our very selves in the process. And when Paul says, you know what I'm going to point to? On the day that I'm standing before Jesus, as the crowning accomplishment of my life, I'm going to point to your thriving, personal, joyful walk with Jesus. When I prioritize people, I will take great joy in their strong, personal walk with Jesus. People thriving with the Lord will become one of my greatest joys. That'll go, that'll go, listen, if I never climb up one rung higher in this corporate ladder thing, but that person that I'm working with knows Jesus and loves Jesus and is rocking with Jesus, it's a win. And if I never get that next raise that's going to pull me away from my family for another 15 hours a week, but my son and my daughter are rocking it with the Lord, listen to me, that's a win. If I never, if I never, if I never, if I never, but the people God has put in my life love Jesus and I'm walking with them as they walk with him. In my last 10 years and on the day I stand before him, I'm going to go, yeah, that. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. So if we're going to prioritize people over the project and over the accomplishments and over the plaque on the wall and over the resume and all this, um, we're going to communicate our care and concern and love for half. We're going to communicate that. We're going we're to take great joy in their personal thriving walk with Jesus. And the last point, write it down. When I prioritize people, I will make an enduring commitment to them. This is hard. It is easy to be a part of someone's life for a short season and the first time they offend us or they don't respond in gratitude to something we feel like they should have responded in gratitude or we're pouring into them and they backstab us or they say this, we're just like, fine, I'm done. If you don't want this, it is hard to, be endure, to have an enduring commitment to walk with people week after week after week. And look at, look at what we see here Paul and his companions doing for the Thessalonians after they leave. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, 
we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's like, listen, I know you're out of sight right now, but you're not out of mind. You're out of sight, but you're not out of a heart. In fact, This is why we sent Timothy back to you. We snuck away in the cover of the night. We got on to the next city. We're sitting in Athens and we're like, we love these people. Timothy, you got to go back and check on these people. You got to make sure that no one has come in and tempted them to deviate from walking with the Lord. You got to go back and exhort them and encourage them. Paul's like, guys, hear this. You're not some ministry project. You're you're not some notch on the belt of us trying to conquest another city. We love you and we're for you and we're committed to you and we're coming back to see you and we'll come back again and we'll come back again and we'll make sure you're walking with the Lord. He's like, we are committed to you. Do the people in our lives, do the relationship that God has brought us, do they know we're committed to them? Do they know we're in it? Not going anywhere. You want to know what's not fun as a preacher? When you have something prepped to preach and you're like, oh, this will be really convicting for them. And then the night before, it's like, how about I really convict you with something you're about to say? I'm at a wedding last night and um, there was a kid when we were in youth ministry he just, the Lord just brought him into Eric and I's life, just really, really, really rough home upbringing. And he just kind of was around, just huge part of Eric and I's life. But I'd share the gospel with him, and I'd pour into him, and I'd share the gospel, and I'd pour into him, and off he'd go, and off he'd go, and off he'd go. And, and finally, like, as we just, as he went off to college, you know, we distanced himself, and then when Eric and I just moved away, it was kind of like, all right, Washing my hands, good luck. And I was sitting a couple rows back from him at this wedding last night. And I'm just watching him. I'm like, he's a, he's a man now. And it was so interesting all night. I'm like, I wonder how he's doing. And right when we got in the car, Eric was like, how do you think so-and-so's doing? And I was like, with that one right there, I missed the enduring commitment of discipleship that it takes to just keep walking and keep showing up and keep showing up. This kid's life, the people in this kid's life never kept showing up. For people, would we make an enduring commitment where we just keep showing up, where we're able to say, I'm with you and I'm for you and I'll be here and I'll still be here. Parents, the years that your kids are pulling away from you the most and they're trying to distance themselves and they're just like, I don't want you anywhere close. Those are the years draw nearest, draw nearest, draw nearest. Marriages, when we walk through the desert seasons where it's just like, oh, where did the spark go? 
Don't let the desert drive the distance. Let the desert draw you nearer. You made an enduring commitment. Would people know that we're in it with them for the long haul? Here's what I hope we're able to say coming out of today. That we're able to look at the people in our life and may this statement start in our very own home. We're able to look at our spouses and look at our kids and then would it flow out to the people we work with and the friends that we have. But would we be able to say this coming out of today? Your personal walk with Jesus will become one of my passionate priorities. Above the plaque I'm trying to pursue, above the line on the resume, above the the accomplishment that I think is the prize of life, you know what's going to be more to me than all of that? Your personal walk with Jesus is going to be the priority of my life. I'm going to pour myself into that. Because we all are going to walk out of here and we're going to walk into work tomorrow. We're going to walk into schools tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to uh, get up tomorrow in our very own house and we're going to have the checklist. And on the checklist, we're going to want to accomplish it all. And we're going to try to define the day as successful based on how we did at accomplishing our checklist. And we're, we're going to try to define our career as successful as how we did at accomplishing the things we set out. But here's the deal. What if in the last decade of our life, and what if on the day we stand before Jesus, what we will be way less focused on are the projects we produce and way more focused on the people we poured into. And we live in the tension of this reality. The other night in the evening, I'm pushing Kaysen on the swing in the backyard. And just the monotonous creaking, and he's loving it, smiling, and I'm just kind of drifting off into ministry, never, never land. Okay, this has got to get done, and okay, what are we going to do about this, and how do we do this? And, and I just remember, I'm pushing, and I'm like, is this, like, is this the best use of my time right now? With all of these things that have to get done, task-focused people, are you with me? The Rolodex starts rolling up here and the anxiety starts rising here. We got to go work. I was just standing there going, yeah, this is the best thing that needs to get done right now. What would Brock 50 years from now say to Brock right now? He'd say, Brock, listen, I'd give anything for one more, one more night of the monotonous pushing of a creaking swing with a two-year-old laughing inside. Amen, parents? What if that is the best thing? My pastor growing up wrote a book, and in it he addresses relationships, not romantic relationships, but relationships, husbands, wives, parents, child, all of them. And he says this, as we achieve and accomplish plan and pursue, it's possible to miss out on the joy right in front of us. Think about what Scripture says. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. I never got that passage. I'm always like, I can understand if it said it was for the discipline set before him. 
It was for the desire to obey the will of God set before him. It was for obedience set before him. But it says it was for the joy set before him. My Savior took joy in being nailed to a cross. Why? What was the joy set before him? I believe it was people. I believe he was looking down from the cross saying, this act of sacrifice will mean life for these people. This is my joy. And what if we could say the same? You are my joy. My wife, you are my joy. My husband, you bring me so much joy. My kids, you bring me so much joy. This friendship, these relationships, because at the end of it all, in the last decade, none of us are going to sit on a porch with a cup of iced tea and rock in our chair and go, just, just, just 40 more hours at the office. Just, just, just 200 more thousand. If we're going to go, I'd give anything for one more night of the monotonous pushing of a creaking swing with a smiling two-year-old sitting inside. Let's be about people this week. And us task-focused folks, for us this might mean when we wake up and immediately we got the checklist and every half hour is planned out, when God drops someone in our path. Maybe they're less of an annoyance and a nuisance on us accomplishing our plan for the day, and maybe they're more of a divine appointment that God has brought about for us to slow down, hear their story, minister to, and love. We'll be about people this week. I preached to anyone today. Amen. Stand with me. I want to pray for us, and I want to transition into this family chat and let this prayer be a transition for us mentally. Uh, because, if, again, if you're here for the first time, this isn't a normal Sunday for us. And so there, this is a lot of listening this Sunday, but really important things that we need to share uh, with you, really exciting things. And so let me pray. And as we pray, let's just transition now into the Lord leading us on, and through how he's leading our church. Father, I pray for us right now that your word would soak into our heart here. Lord, you know how desperately I needed this message this week from my own heart. Lord, we believe a lie of culture that tells us our life matters as long as we're building things and projects and accomplishing stuff. Uh, Lord, what if you've defined it that our life matters in our relationship that's stewarded with you and how we're pouring into others? And so, God, now would you lead us into that this week? Would we slow down And would we love people? And would we see them as one of the greatest joys and the crowning accomplishments of our life? We ask these things in your name. Amen.